Hi guys, this is Veronica Volk, producer of Exited. Just a quick note before we get started. This is the second episode of our series. In the first, we follow Nate, a 17-year-old student, as he navigates high school and some obstacles between him and a diploma. If you haven't heard it yet, go back now and listen. Okay, here's episode two. At a daycare center, a bunch of three- and four-year-olds have lined up their mini chairs to make a pretend bus. And off they go to a Broadway show. Maggie McCrum is sitting in the front row. She's 20 years old. She's been helping the kids on and off the make-believe bus, making sure they have what they need for the journey. And now she's launching into a duet. In the corner of the classroom, a woman is watching Maggie, observing her. And so basically what I'm doing here today is I do an assessment uh, for Maggie and to see how she, you know, interacts with the children, how she takes initiative and, you know, completes tasks on her own and just, you know, where she's at vocationally. This is Allison Nage. She's a vocational evaluator for an organization called JobPath. Through the assessment, you can gauge, you know, how ready the person is and if they really like the area that they're working in. So, I mean, you can kind of see, like, their motivation and their drive to really want to, you know, get a job in the community. In the community is basically this way of saying out in the world with everyone else. Here's Maggie. Eventually, I want to do a part-time job here. Well, I don't know wherever I would like to do it, but I'm going to see if I can get an application for here eventually, maybe. How do you think it's going so far? Um, at first I was kind of nervous because I thought kids would be pointing out stuff and then I was like, oh, they're okay. They're, they're good, actually. Kids are really cute. When you say pointing out stuff, what do you mean? Like, oh, you're, you look different or something, but, because I was bullied when I was younger. I was, I was bullied when I was in high school and just to say, I almost got in a fist fight with a girl, but I'm glad I didn't. And then I went to a school for kids with disabilities, and I'm so glad I went there. I just wish I could have been there longer. Why are you so glad that you went there? What was it like? Um, I felt like myself, and I felt like I felt like I belonged there. Because, you know, if you ha you're a kid like me who has disabilities, you feel like, oh, people judge you because just because you have a disability, oh, you're different. I'm Karen Shikurji. I'm a health reporter with WXXI in Rochester, New York. And this is Exited, a podcast about growing up and trying to find a place where you belong when you've been told your whole life that you're different. The unemployment rate for young adults with disabilities 
is more than double what it is for young adults without disabilities. And that's not because people with disabilities don't aspire to work, of course. There are a lot of reasons why someone might not find employment. It could be a lack of a diploma, college degree, or training. But it could also be the lack of an opportunity to develop social skills. In this episode, we're going to talk about one thing that is helping, college experiences. I've been following three people. Pat. I am Patrick Staley, and I'm 21 years old because I just turned 21 this past weekend. Jesse. My name is Jesse Robert Claude. I'm 20 years old, a wives college student. And Maggie. I'm Ma- married James McCrum, and I love the, a band that used to be famous, and they were called I Am Five as they leave their college programs for the real world. Okay, so remember what's important. Make sure everything looks the same. So for example... When I first met Maggie, who has autism, she was enrolled in a program for students with disabilities at the University of Rochester. It's called TOUR for short. TOUR is part work experience, part academic, and part general life skills, like managing money. Today, she's looking for mistakes in sample resumes. Shouldn't there be a comma? Mm-hmm. See? You got it. And then also we need I to went to visit her books. just a few weeks before she was wrapping up. I'm happy and sad at the same time because I'm going to miss my friends, that I've, the friends I've made here. And that means that I've worked up the courage and stuff to get a real job and um, like before I said we found out that I'm gonna have supported a supported job coach or something with my job in the future so that's pretty cool the number of these college experience programs is growing by a lot but it's still a small amount compared to the number of higher ed institutions across the country. Students pack up their stuff to leave for the day. Bye, Maggie. See ya. (laughs) And I start to talk with Christine Walker, her teacher. Our students are a part of this campus. They don't really stand out, you know? They're just a part of the U of R. Um, which I think a lot of the students that come here haven't always had that in their high school experiences. So this is the first time that they're kind of feeling accepted. Maggie did three internships during her year at tour. Maggie has grown tremendously in her work environment. And she always had said that daycare was something that she was really interested, preschool type stuff. And we were a little bit hesitant because of some of the, the maturity level and the social piece. We were a little hesitant just because you're working with little little guys and you're, you know, you're shaping them to who they are or whatever. And she's really surprised us. She's, she's done very, very well there. Maggie can get in the way of herself. This is Jean McCrum, Maggie's mother. She allows her mind to get all tangled up. She can't relax. She doesn't have a way of um, 
understanding how to do that herself, how to, you know, kind of calm herself down, you know, but if she calms down, she can do it. These college programs can translate into a social life, more education, just overall personal growth, but also jobs. And that's pretty significant considering almost no students leave these programs with any kind of degree or certificate that anyone has heard of. There's um, nothing that nothing um, tangible to show for what they've done. And so it's more experiential, really. And it, um, it's really good for them, and it's valuable. It's valuable, but they don't have a way to put that on paper to show that it's valuable. When Maggie finished a tour, she tried to figure out what to do next. A state agency called Access VR suggested she take some more classes at a local continuing education center. To get a certificate and then work with children. But that involves some steps. Yeah, I have to take a test first to see if I can get in. When I first met Patrick Staley, he was wrapping up a similar program to Maggie. I met him at a high school in Gates, a suburb of Rochester. He was in the middle of assisting the coach during a basketball game. Are you, uh, are you busy over there? Can we well, talk you, for a couple of minutes? Yes, we can still, still talk. Yeah? We sit down on a bench outside the gym, and in about three seconds, it becomes very clear Pat is for sports and sports are for Pat. Like soccer, baseball, football, wrestling, track and field, and then basketball, which was... We're sitting in Pat's former high school. He doesn't go here anymore. He's 21 now. But his school district has continued to pay for his education five miles down the road at Roberts Wesleyan College. That's because the district is responsible for students with disabilities until they turn 21 or get a diploma, whichever happens first. Pat says the program at Roberts was not always what he planned to do after high school. You know, I was still thinking of, like, serving our country in the Navy. Have you looked into that, joining the Navy? Oh yeah, I sure have since way back when I was still in high school. What happened to that idea? Well, the reason why I still cannot even get into the Navy is just because of my disability. So that's the reason why I just had to, like, first start college. Do you have kind of an idea of what you'd like to do in, in the long term? You know, I do actually want to become, like, an athletic coach and personal fitness trainer. And then I was also still thinking of, like, like right after when I retire from coaching or teaching, I was also still thinking of, like, doing more of, like, athletic directing or something like that. Pat's program at Roberts is called Bell for short. In the Bell program, Pat walked around campus and went to class, but he didn't take classes for credit and wasn't working on a degree. 
And that's the part that struck me as a little odd. Everyone I spoke to at these transition programs basically said, in one way or another, they're a part of the campus, but they're not student-students here. That student-student status a lot of the time comes down to whether someone is on their way to getting a degree, also known as matriculation. But matriculation can be out of reach for students with disabilities. To start, for example, Pat doesn't have a high school diploma. Here's his mom, Deirdre Staley. He is a student who was um, determined in fifth grade to be alternatively assessed by New York State, and that meant he didn't um, take state tests after that point. That means at 11 years old, Pat, who has autism, was excused from taking tests, the very tests he would have needed to take to potentially get a diploma. These college-based programs are a way for students like Pat, who might not have the traditional credentials, to still experience college. But less than 6% of higher ed institutions in the country have options for students with intellectual or developmental disabilities. So I wanted to know, if they benefit young people with disabilities so much, why aren't there more of them? Most of the people I asked couldn't or wouldn't answer that question. So naturally, I became a little obsessed, which is why I was still talking to people when I was super past my deadline, even if I was on a high-speed train in the middle of nowhere with basically no reception. Hey, Kate. Oh, hey, good. I can hear you this time. So quick heads up, my conversation with Kate Weir is a little hard to make out. She's the project director for Think College. They're a national center that helps develop higher ed opportunities for students with intellectual disabilities. I asked Kate why there aren't more of these programs. This is such an incredibly uh, challenging movement um, because colleges are by design exclusive environments. They're designed to be exclusionary. They're proudly exclusionary, you know. They, they, colleges will brag about, you know, we only have a 42% uh, acceptance rate. I had been so focused on what these programs were doing for Maggie and Patrick that I forgot about step one of getting to college. You've got to prove that you're worthy. We have the ways in which you prove that you belong there. Those are long-held practices, SAT scores, writing an essay, um, getting you know good grades in high school. That's the way you prove that you belong in college. Um, and those people who, who are excellent in a lot of ways, but not in those ways, get excluded. And if or when universities get past that, that selectiveness mentality, Kate says she often hears a next set of hurdles. And here's what you might hear at that level. Um, do the, what, what happens to our graduation and retention rates? Those are rates that are very, very under scrutiny at most every institution of higher ed now. People will have a concern about what will people think of our university if they hear that we're educating students with intellectual disability. She acknowledges students with disabilities do need supports. The reality is that these students have developmental disabilities. So, you know, the, the, it's very possible 
where as they develop and grow, they're going to learn more slowly than other people, not necessarily they're not going to learn at all. Pat actually ended up having a pretty unique experience. By most accounts, come the end of his transition program at Roberts Wesleyan, he'd be done. But Pat wanted to take more classes, and he and his family have found a way to do that. Here's Deirdre, his mom again. Well, um, we have somehow been able to skirt the um, application process and that whole matriculation issue. Roberts Wesleyan helped to put together a plan for Pat to take more courses. Here's Kim Woodard. She's the director of the Bell Program. A couple of students have done that. It's an interesting model of someone coming back and independently pursuing a goal like that, not under the umbrella of Bell. But because he feels so confident and had such a good, especially academic, experience, he can move forward with that, so he's ready for the next step. I've heard so many people talk about the lack of opportunities for students with disabilities in higher ed. I ask him to explain to me how Pat will be able to continue on taking classes. She said that through his time on campus as a Bell student, he showed he could do it. I think that if it were something where Patrick was coming in cold, not having two years here on campus, it would be much more difficult to engage as a non-matriculated student. But we could say, this is Patrick's transcript. This is his record of success. You know, so it's something that gives support to the idea of him continuing as a non-matriculated student. When she said that, I wondered if there were rules about whether someone needs a diploma or a GED or something just to sit inside a college classroom and earn credit. I think that Individuals and colleges are trying to figure that out. It's new ground. Why is it new? Why is it new ground? Um, I guess I said that because I feel like even transition programs on college campuses for, you know, to get certificate, that is even new ground in terms of did students ever think that they would be on a college campus having an academic experience? Today, there are 10 times as many programs as there were about a decade ago. They're growing in part because of money. The Federal Education Department gave out dozens of grants to schools and basically said, make options for students with intellectual disabilities. We keep reinventing and pushing the envelope of what high expectations means. This is Meg Griggle, a co-director of that national center, Think College. So in the 80s and 90s, when we first started talking about including students in elementary school and providing access to learning experiences and working experiences, um, we, we keep saying, oh, well, maybe they can do this. And then we create some structures and supports so that people can get jobs in the community or live in the community. And then it, we find out, oh yes, we were right. <laughs> she points out that higher ed institutions do accommodate students with mental health conditions and physical disabilities. So it's, it's not unheard of for us to respond to the unique learning needs in a higher ed environment 
But for some reason, when we're talking about people with intellectual disabilities, often the first thing people ask is, well, what do they need to learn? A lot, it turns out. I first met Jesse Claude at SUNY Geneseo, a university in a rural part of western New York. When I visited, his class was doing a lesson on what to know about signing leases. If you're writing a contract, what do you want the contract to say to protect you or me? Jesse is sitting in the back corner of the classroom. He's tall, six foot four, and has short, bright orange hair. Yeah, it's not going to be an item. What would you want? So Jesse, Jesse, what did you say? Pay on time. Pay on time. That's something that's important in the contract, right? The ironic part here is that Jesse and his classmates haven't had anything like this kind of experience yet because they can't live on campus. They're technically enrolled in a specific program for students with disabilities at the university. It's called LIVES for short. His father, Dwayne Claude, says while Jesse has been at LIVES, he's grown academically, but also socially. To the point now where he is trying to get people to come do things with him outside of school, which would never happen before. Come home and want to talk about his day or strike up conversations. And there's just been huge amounts of change. And it seems like there's something new every day. Can you tell me your, your full name and just like a line or two about yourself? Just a little, little intro. Sure. Uh, my name is Jesse Robert Claude. I'm 20 years old a lives college student and I am I am autistic. I have autism. Yep. And I'm proud of it. Yep. Jesse tells me about the classes he's taking, like his writing seminar. I had to write a paper on uh, transhumanism, which is how humans would evolve through technology or biology and genetics. Children's literature. And I learned how to write stories. And one called UFOs and Conspiracies. Yeah, that's pretty much what it was about, UFOs and Conspiracies. And three days a week, he goes to work at the dining hall for job training. I do food prep, and uh, sometimes I put granola in cups on trays, or I, sometimes I do food labels, and uh, sometimes I peel carrots and cut them. At the time, Jesse was just a few months away from wrapping up the LIVES program and turning 21. We go through all these years throughout school, and there's all sorts of supports put in place. Once they turn 21, all that disappears. And that is really what becomes scary. The way almost every parent I've interviewed talks about support after 21 is like there isn't any. Once Jesse turns 21, the school district will no longer pay for his supports, anything from education to transportation. I think for the most part, things are going to kind of seem normal. <laughs> but uh, in a couple of weeks, Jesse graduates. Um, so 
so that um, becomes a becomes a transition into his a transition into his next phase of life. For his next phase of life, Jesse and his family have to figure out all these new things, how to get a job, interact with people, or even just get to work. And they won't have the school district to help them. They'll need to get services through the state. Once Jesse finishes his college experience, he'll look to that state agency, Access VR, for help with employment. I asked them for an interview, but they declined. Navigating all this stuff can be complicated on a technical level, but can also be really emotional. Part of you also starts to think about your own mortality. So you're trying to prepare them for when you're not going to be around to make sure that they're still going to be okay. After Jesse finished the Lives program, he got a part-time seasonal job at a local diner, but that ended. I'm still applying for another job for the fall. Access VR referred him to a local agency for help with job placement. Other than that, I was also putting in some job applications. I haven't gotten any response yet, so we're still looking for another job. And remember Maggie, the young woman who wants to work with kids? Because they're easier to work with and they're not judgmental like teenagers. She passed that entrance test. To get a certificate and then work with children. Patrick is busy taking two classes at Roberts Wesleyan College. He hopes to get a coaching certificate. Just uh, like as an actual college student. To see photos and hear more episodes of Exited, go to our website, exitedpodcast.org. I'm Karen Shikurji. Exited is produced by Veronica Volk. Denise Young is our executive editor. Juan Vasquez is our digital producer. Melinda Ruitt is our intern. Special thanks to Andrew Croucher. Elisa Orlando is the senior vice president of television and news. Our news director is Randy Corbman. Next time on Exited. Her safety is my most important need. Sheltered workshops are a place where people with disabilities go to work, kind of. I want to stay here as long as I can when I can. I'm not sure how long, but... And they're being phased out. Well, she has to start over again, and that's just terrifying to her. Exited is a production of the Inclusion Desk at WXXI. The Inclusion Desk is funded in part by the Golisano Foundation, supporting Move to Include programming on WXXI and working toward a more inclusive community. This program is a production of WXXI Public Broadcasting, Rochester, New York.